Welcome to Board Game is Anonymous, episode 180, how to win friends and influence people with board games. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers for helping us bring you an ad-free episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast with board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, it is the final countdown for Gen Con right at our doorstep. Really excited. It's all about the big board gaming summer festival that we're going to have down in Indianapolis. What are you feeling, man? I get like really excited two, three weeks out. And then the few days before, I just get kind of nervous because it's a big trip, <laughs> but I have to get all my work done. And I'm like, I'm going to spend too much money. Uh, and I have to get up really early on Thursday because I want to get in early. And it's the whole thing. And then by Thursday afternoon, I'm like, woo, Gen Con. So <laughs> I'm in that, you know, weirdly nervous stage ahead of time. Because Gen Con, it's like, it's like a rock concert. Like these other cons are like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with people and play games, and that's it. And so it's fun. But Gen Con is like, it's all about the experience and the ex- all the stuff exploding everywhere. You know, it's... <laughs> Gen Con, Gen Con, Gen Con! Coming to Sunday, Sunday! Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm an introvert, so like it's I have to gear up for this. It's always fun, but yeah, the, the few days before is like, ah! <laughs> It's it's really funny because it is it is kind of the convention for introverts, kind of trying to manage the explosive nature of board gaming in, all in one kind of scenario where it's everyone's like everyone's really excited and then you know you're really exhausted but you're supposed to be excited and you get exhausted and you get excited but you know it's it's kind of a kind of a cardboard fever goes on through the convention. Hopefully not the real type of fever that you tend to get at conventions, yeah. <laughs> but it's a lot of great fun. So hopefully you will also be getting down there to Gen Con. Hopefully you're listening to this episode on the way to Gen Con. And if you are, of course, going to Gen Con, please hit us up so we can get a chance to meet you at some point during the convention. Yeah, for sure. So there is so much greatness to talk about, but we'll leave that to our next episode, which is the big gen con awards episode where we talk about everything that happened at gen con the games that hit everyone's tables and the games that you should be picking up but that is our next episode which will be recorded at gen con in indianapolis indiana so that's a lot of good gen con to go on i can't say gen con anymore i think eventually we're going to get cited by gen con so let's get on to our at the table, Anthony. So what are other people having to say about something other than Gen Con? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I asked a question two weeks ago when the... Was the it about new... Gen Con? It wasn't. Oh. oh. I mean, it was a good guess, though. About the the Simon Kickstarter that went up, the death may never die another death or whatever it was with Cthulhu. <laughs> And so I asked them, what is the most ostentatious thing you've seen printed for or with a board game? Of Jeez. course, referencing that ridiculously oversized miniature that's bigger than a baby, which is really just a statue. Can we just call it a statue at this point? I think it's a statue. What if, in fact, Cthulhu was only as large as a toddler? <laughs> Would he be more or less scary, though? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just turned out that, you know, it is an elder god that's terribly horrifying but eh, it's a little bitty guy 
<laughs> when he was around, all the things were much smaller. So <laughs> That's he, right. <laughs> he, he only had to terrify the bugs. <laughs> there you go. So people sent in a few things. Michael sent a photo from Geek and Sundry. I'll put the link in the in the show notes because I can't show you guys here, obviously. But it was a massive size Twilight Imperium 3 game. So uh, they had actual planets for every single planet had been created out of craft foam. Um, they had the ships were like supersized. The board is like five by five by five across like, this massive, massive thing. And the game's already too big. So I imagine they were playing with those like shuffle things that you see in like war movies with like moving guys around on a table. So that's pretty cool. I would love to play on that, even though it looks ridiculous. John mentioned something that we mentioned actually a few weeks back, the broken token insert for Rising Sun with mm-hmm. the painted crate, because who doesn't want to spend $350 for a crate for a... <laughs> $80 game. Um, Tommy mentions the 60-page almanac for First Martians and all the extra written material for that game that was almost incomprehensible. <laughs> That's I agree. And Jeremy mentions all of Anachrony. And I'm like, I don't think Anachrony is too much. But the first time you look at that game, it's almost too much. I wanted to throw in Azul, the, the giant edition. Um, mm-hmm. Not because it's ridiculous, because when I first saw it, I was like, ooh, I want that. But because it's three hundred dollars, which no, <laughs> sorry, no. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a a bunch of games that kind of fit this category. Most recently, I played Feudum, which mm, had yeah. a bunch of different odd little pieces to it that don't really come into play, and that's kind of odd considering the game length. For my own personal collection, I have the super deluxe small world giant wooden crate for some reason that does <laughs> not have handles, so. So, so you have to kind of manage this gigantic wooden box that's holding pieces that you could pretty much put into like a little bit of a sack. But probably the most dramatic thing that I've ever seen as far as gameplay is concerned has to go back to our first game convention was PAX East. And I think this is still part of our intro video on YouTube, which was the Star Wars Death Star Trench. That oh, was yeah. <laughs> actually playable where a bunch of people were playing, you know, the Rebels versus the Empire. And it was this ridiculously large trench that they had the little mentors in. It was fantastic. Yeah, that was really cool. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, Anthony. So there is so much outstanding, fantastic, ridiculous production that's going on with board gaming. Don't forget Dinosaur Island. I think that's another one there, too. So please let us know about all the ridiculous board gaming that you've seen out there in the world. We want to hear more about it. So don't forget, our social media is everywhere. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. We have so much going on there. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher. We're pretty much everywhere board gaming tends to be, and especially on social media. You can find us on YouTube and also on our guild on BoardGameGeek. All right, Anthony, so that's everything for our listeners. That's everything for our social media. Let's get on to our acquisition disorders. All right, so I have once again decided that I want a game that I previously said I didn't because (laughs) that's what we do to ourselves here. Yep. Yeah, this is Detective, a modern crime board game. It is a new release from Portal Games. Uh, Ignacy Trevichek and his design team at Portal have developed this deduction and storytelling game in which you are trying to solve five different cases that come of the game. And 
the the twist on this because it's a card driven deduction game there's a lot of those out there there's ones that have no cards you have something like sherlock holmes where you're just reading some newspapers lots of stuff out there like that out of a box but what makes this one a little bit different is that you actually will be going online and consulting the internet as well as the database that they've built to check all these different clues and evaluate all the different information that you're pulling together so it kind of pulls a lot of different things in that you couldn't necessarily do straight out of you know a cardboard box and the early indications are that it works really well so i have not had a chance to play this yet so i'm going off of other people's reviews as we often do but it sounds very interesting i initially was hesitant because just the way it was described sounded way too ambitious and you had a game like first martians that sounded also too ambitious and ended up being a little too ambitious um, even though I like that game. Um, but this one seems like it it manages to pull it together. And even if it doesn't, like just the experience seems like it'll be really cool. So I, I do plan on tracking this one down at Gen Con. Uh, I believe they're going to have it along with the pre-order bonuses and all that stuff. So looking forward to giving this one a try. Uh, that's Detective, a modern crime board game. So I guess we can add this to our growing list of board games that use online implements to kind of enhance the gameplay experience and i guess this is kind of a little bit of a i guess expansion from his mars game that used a lot of the or a lot of these online components yeah i mean it's like first martians was funny because they're like oh we're gonna use an app to run the cards yes um and they didn't go all the way so you still had a ton of bits sure. you still had a lot of stuff there the app was kind of dull you couldn't go back it didn't give you all the information you needed sometimes like it, it wasn't it was a little half-baked this game I haven't seen the online implementation yet. It seems like you really need to use it, though, which is an interesting thing, because I know some people just will not touch a game like that. Um, I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. Um, I'm all about multimedia and how things cross together and how they work together. But if, if you don't want media in your games, I totally understand that. I use them to unplug as well. Um, but this seems like a really unique, interesting experience. So I'm, I'm looking forward to giving it a go. All right, Anthony, I want to talk to you about a Kickstarter that's currently up and will finally wrap up its campaign on Wednesday, August 15th. This is something that only the hardcore fans of Homestar Runner, which was this online kind of webcomic that exploded back in the days before YouTube was a big thing. This is probably way back in 2000. I'm not too sure. Are you familiar with Homestar Runner? Only in passing. Yeah, I think I was in high school maybe even a little bit younger when this is big, and I just wasn't tuned in. This was a huge thing at the time. There wasn't a lot of websites that were doing web videos at the time. Newgrounds was one of them. Homestar Runner was one of the biggest ones. And it was just a lot of kind of fun, interesting kind of geek media back when geek media was pretty much a small thing. This is Trogdor, the board game. Now, this has some explaining to do. One of their comics has one of their characters, Strong Bad, who kind of does like a email response kind of show. And one of the questions on his email show was all about developing this dragon character and which basically kind of rolls into this kind of really kind of funny song and then eventually becomes this board game. So if you're a big fan of Homestar Runner, you probably know all about this. If you're not, I would highly recommend jumping on Homestar Runner, 
There's a lot of different videos on there. I would definitely recommend the Strong Bad emails because I think they're the funniest of them all. And they do still hold up to this day. Now, the game itself is something you may be interested in because it is a card kind of activation game. And it utilizes kind of a co-op game in which you are this dragon, Trogdor, that is wandering around the kingdom, burning down all of the land, burning the peasants, burning their little huts, and trying to avoid the knights and trying to avoid all the different archers. And there's a number of different ways to play this game. It's basically a co-op game, but you can, of course, play this game solo. And it has a lot of feel of, like, Forbidden Island or Forbidden Desert, where these tiles are laid out. And it really comes down to maximizing the movement as possible. And it's very thematic. It's kind of funny. It's tongue-in-cheek. So if you do like this kind of wacky kind of gameplay, this might be for you. If Homestar Runner kind of, you know, humor is not your thing... Maybe you want to avoid it, but as we talked about earlier, there are certain games that go above and beyond as far as gameplay is concerned. This has a pledge level of $1,800 for its all-out kind of explosive. Yeah. (laughs) Now, you don't have to do that. You can back at the $40 level for for the screen-printed wooden meeples, which I would recommend. You can get the mini plastic level at the $60. But yeah, Anthony, there's a, just an $1,800 level if you want all the kind of fancy wood box for a game that's pretty simple, huh? What do you say? What do you say, huh? huh? Do you get a life-size dragon that you can put in your bedroom and <laughs> put all your games inside of? I don't, what, what exactly do you get for that much money? You basically get a super, super fancy wooden box of what's basically a very, very simple art design. And the tiles themselves kind of work with the box so... It's a thing if you are that type of fan. Oof, that does not sound like it's worth $1,800. <laughs> it better be made of like blind artisans in the Andes. Like, <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll let you know. They already has 16 backers Good at that God. level. <laughs> so I don't think this is going to be as big as Exploding Kittens, but there are a lot of big fans out there of Homestar Runner. So... If you are a Homestar Runner fan, if you do, or if you're interested in a light kind of co-op gameplay, that's pretty fun and pretty tongue-in-cheek. You might want to check this out. All right, Anthony, that's everything for Acquisition Disorder. Now to our At The Table. So for At The Table this week, we're going to talk about the games that we got a chance to play and let you know those games are a buy, and you should run out and pick up those games. If those games are a play, you should definitely sit down and play those. If those are games are a dodge, and you should definitely check out a different table, or if those games are worth the dreaded burn and you should be like Trogdor and burn those games to the ground. So Anthony, what did you get to the table this week? All right. I have a couple games I'm going to talk about. Both are pretty quick and pretty light and both were brand new at Origins. So these, you know, kind of on that list of games worth checking out. So the first one is Senshi. This is from Arcane Wonders, uh, designer Dan Manfredini. And it is a very simple game. Lots of interaction though. So the basic idea is that you're going to have several different stacks of three different chips. The chips come in one of four colors. You randomly stack them at the beginning of the game. Depends on how many players you have. So somewhere between 16 and 24 of these stacks. You are then on your turn going to do one of three things. You're either going to take one of those stacks and put it on your own personal board. You're going to take a tile, which means you take it from any single stack out there. It could be someone else's, could be your own. You put it in your hand or you play one tile. 
which is you take one of those tiles from your hand, you play it down in front of your personal board, and then any of the same color that is on the top of those stacks that are on your board, you stack up on top of that. So you're just kind of trying to manipulate everything and get it in the right place so that you can build up these higher stacks on your own personal space. The goal of the game at the end is to have the, the highest stacks and score the most points, of course. But one thing to keep in mind is that if you have the lowest stack of anybody, of any one thing, you are automatically eliminated. So you can't just like focus on, I'm going to get every single red tile, because then if you have no yellow tiles, all anybody else has to do is get one yellow tile and you lose. So you have to kind of balance everything out. Um, if it if it's a tie for the least, then nobody gets eliminated. So it, does, it doesn't make it so there's an automatic elimination, but every time I've played, someone's gotten eliminated. So it seems pretty likely it's gonna happen. The game is fairly quick, takes about 15, 20 minutes. The interaction is very high because you're stealing stuff from people fairly frequently. And you can try to make a plan, but it doesn't always work. But it's not so random and take that e that you can't do anything. So it's kind of in that in-between space of, man, you keep messing up my plans and I still have some options here. Uh, it's the first time I played this, we were at one of the parties after Origins, you know, at night. And so some people had been drinking. It was, it was a nice, light, easy game. You could talk over it. There's nothing to read. There's no, no it's all public information other than what's in your hand. So it's a good game for that kind of interaction. I don't know that I'd say it's worth necessarily picking up, but if you like those kind of games that are highly interactive, that are very simple, a little bit on the abstract side, it's worth checking out. I definitely would give it a play. So that's Senshi. Definitely check that one out if you get a chance to. Uh, and it's relatively inexpensive. I think it's a $20 game. So the other game I wanted to talk about is from North Star Games, and that's Most Wanted. This is a game they were touting quite a bit at Origins. It was a pre-release there. And they're calling it the, like, what King of Tokyo did for Yahtzee, this does for poker. And so as you can imagine, the game is all about poker hands. And the way it works is you have six different actions that are laid out, and then you have hands of cards. And the cards go from six to ace. So you have the four suits, but you do not have one through five. So it shortens up the, the hands a little bit. And when it's your turn, you're going to do one action um, from one of these six actions that are out there. And they're they're basically, you draw cards, you discard cards of the same color to generate money, and you need the money when you lose hands later, um, or you duel somebody, which is you just choose how many cards you want to play, zero to three, and then you guys see who has the best hand. The real core of the game, though, is in the robberies. And so the robberies are two, three, or four card hands, and then the person who starts it plays their hand, Anybody else can call them and play their own hand, and then whoever has the best hand wins the robbery, gets the points. Everybody else has to pay bail, and the bail is based, it's money you have to pay based on where you are on the score track. So the beginning of the game, it's zero, but once you get to the end, it's like three or four. It's, it's fairly straightforward in that way. Now, the thing about the game that I find troubling is, one... Uh, you, you have these limited hand options. Now, there are more advanced ways to play the game that are not in the basic rulebook um, that bring in, like, flushes and straights. But as the game is written at the base level, it's two, three, or four card hands, which means it's just pairs and three of a kinds or four of a kind, right? There's not a lot you can do to mitigate for that. You're not really building hands. You can't really bluff people out so much. If somebody's been 
carefully going through cards and building up a hand, you know they probably have good cards. There's not much you can do about it. So it's a little bit random. At the same time, it does have this trump mechanism where if somebody plays aces and that's the high hand, if you play sixes, then you automatically win against all the hands, regardless of what everybody else plays. So that's a thing people keep in mind too. So you have to be careful. Like if you're overconfident, someone might be like, oh, maybe he has aces, I'll play sixes. That's kind of the only mental math that's going on here. You're really just kind of going through the motions though, because it is a little bit random. You don't have a lot of control over what goes out. And there's not a lot you can do to mitigate it. There's no like folding. Like if everybody calls you and you're like, oh, wait a second, there's no betting. You know, all the things that make a poker an interactive game where you can actually learn what's going on from other people, they've removed to strip it down. And while it does make for a relatively quick and in some cases very fun, you know, back and forth, there's just not a lot of decision making to be had. The other problem I have with the game is that twice when playing it, one person did not score at all or only scored once or twice because of how random it was. The one time one person finished the game before the other person even got onto the scoreboard, which they were not happy about and nor should they be like that. That's a rough way to play. Um, I can't recommend this. Uh, I didn't find it very entertaining. Um, most of the people I played with had a similar response. There Again, there are some ways to kind of ramp it up and get a little bit more out of the game, but I feel it's, it's not really the spirit of the game. And if you, the core game, if the core experience is not entertaining, then why would you continue and add more to it? The artwork is amazing. I mean, it's like Disney style. Everything's very colorful and you know evocative you have all these different characters that come on these stands so all these different things you get to engage with and interact with are cool you want the game to be good you want there to be something fun here i just didn't find it so i'm going to give a most wanted a dodge is there anything they could do with an expansion to kind of change it up a little bit yeah i mean again like if you ramp things up a little bit it is possible to play with you know the a little bit more complicated poker hands instead of like the basic ones that come out of the box that adds a little bit to the game uh i think that should have been there from the start but I, they wanted sure. it to be that accessible like king of tokyo level game and i honestly i think a lot of people are going to pick this up and that's what they're going to find and they're going to love it but for our audience and for us it's just there's not much here only other thing i could think of is you need to find a way to add stakes to a hand like if you lose a hand, then you have to pay bail, but losing, winning and losing is almost random. Like, mm -hmm. if you're like, I have two aces, that's the best for yes. this two-card hand. Unless that guy plays sixes, I don't know if he has sixes. There's no way to know that. Like, there's no betting involved sure. for you to, like, get a sense of what other people are doing. Poker needs that, I think, for yes. it to work. And it's just, it doesn't, like, it's not, Yahtzee was already a solitary game where you roll dice, you write it down. Uh, you know, if we're talking about the King of Tokyo analogy, in this mm -hmm. case, it just it doesn't translate well. So I don't know if they could fix it or not. Um, I don't know if they think they need to fix it. But in my case, it just doesn't work. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about two games that are also on the lighter side, but have very different types of mechanics in play. So first up is the Red Dragon Inn, the Tavern Crew. Now, Red Dragon Inn has been around since about 2007. And basically, it's a take-that game in which you have two different meters that you're trying to manage. One is your fortitude, and one is your alcohol level. Because you're adventurers, and you've been on wonderful quests, but now it's time to come back to the tavern and drink. So basically, you're trying to drink your other buddies under the table in order to win all the gold and kind of run out there while they're all passed out on the floor. 
Now, what's interesting about the Red Dragon and the Tavern Group is that particularly it's finally going to allow these background characters to have center stage. So in this game, you're going to have Jasper the Bouncer. This is a new character. And it's this human wizard that is basically very old and decrepit, but thanks to his magical powers, he's able to play cards that are going to upset the balance and typically win the day. There's also Molly, the stable hand, that's going to allow her to utilize special cards that are going to be able to bring in all of these different magical animals that are going to be able to allow her to win the day. And then there's also going to be Warthorn, the Redbeard, who is the proprietor of the Red Dragon Inn. And basically, he's going to tell these very lengthy stories that are going to knock out other players. And finally, the Wench, who you typically see in all of these different versions of the Red Dragon. And there's been several of them, let's say up to seven. She's finally going to come into play and she's going to have these special drinks that are going to allow additional effects like... You have to take a drink, but you also have to have a chaser with that. So it's really going to up other people's alcohol level. So basically in the game, you are going to play action cards. You're going to try to keep up your fortitude, which is going to go up on one end. And you're going to try to keep down your alcohol on the other end. If at any point your fortitude and your alcohol cross, then it's going to basically knock you out the game. And basically the cards themselves are take that. So you're trying to knock out other people out. What's really interesting about the Red Dragon in games is each and every one of the characters plays slightly differently that adds to the flavor and the theme of the game. So if you play a paladin, they're going to ask for the holy light in order to kind of keep up their fortitude. And especially in this game, let's say Molly is going to have all these special animals in play that are going to help her deal with all of these drunkards at the tavern. The Red Dragon in number seven, the tavern crew is a lot of fun if you like those take that games, very thematic. And if you've been following along with this theme, this is definitely something you're going to pick up because, as I said, it has all the background characters that you've wanted to play previously. I know this is one of the favorite games for our friend Dave because he really likes these types of games. This game is a play because it's a lot of fun. It's kind of a you know throw at the table, slap each other around a little bit, and enjoy the night. My second game is a very different game. This is Mystery of the Temples. This is by Emperor S4 Games and brought to us by Deep Water Games. Now, this is a quick, and I would say on the light side, rondelle game with beautiful artwork, interesting little crystals, and a really a, a, a nice kind of departure for most games. Since the crystals are brightly colored, someone who might be colorblind may not be able to tell the difference. They also include cardboard tokens, so you don't have to play with the crystals. You can play with a token so that everyone can play the game. Really like to see that. So basically in this game, you are trying to break these curses in these different temples. And what you're doing is you're taking your little meeple around this rondelle circle, and you are stopping at different locations in order to collect different color crystals, transform those crystals into different colors, and try to match the pattern at these different temples. Beautiful artwork in this game, and the temples themselves are these very large cards, and it will tell you what colors are needed to score what number of victory points. So there's a little bit of a race element here as you're running around to these different temples, transforming your crystals, and trying to match the patterns that's gonna score you the most victory points. 
You're also picking up runes that are going to score you a set collection bonus and basically trying to get the most victory points by the end of the game. I really enjoyed this game. It plays best probably at the lower player count, but even at four players, your turns are pretty quick because basically you're moving, you're taking your crystals, or you're trying to break a curse. That's pretty much in a nutshell. So for the Red Dragon in the Tavern Crew, that's a play. For Mysteries of the Temple, it's also a play. All right, good stuff. All right, Anthony, so that's everything for our At The Table. Now on to our feature review. All right, so for our feature review, we are going to talk about how to win friends and influence people with board games. Now, board gaming is a fun hobby for all of us because why else would you be listening to this podcast? But it also allows us to interact socially with a number of different people who may not be involved in board gaming But it allows us to kind of bridge that gap, as we said earlier. We tend to be a little bit on the introverted side. So having a board game to kind of connect with other people is a great way. So this allows us to make new friends and, you know what, influence people that might be in our professional world. So we picked out six games that are appropriate for making these friends and to to network in professional situations. All right, Anthony. So... How have you dealt with using board games professionally, personally, and uh, what games actually work best for you? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's like we tend towards big, heavy, dry Euros, which are horrible for this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the the games that if you type in social board games, you get social deduction or Cards Against Humanity clones, which are also horrible for this. Yes. So finding something in the middle that's, you know, gamery, but not overwhelming but quick to teach but easy but still enjoyable if you lose there aren't i mean there's plenty of games that fit that but not as many as you'd think so i you know i really tried to narrow down the the ones i picked to a few that played in less than an hour that i could teach in less than five minutes and that you could still have fun playing regardless of the score i think those were the important things and that could be part of a conversation that you're not just sitting there staring at your pieces the whole time so the first one I wanted to talk about is actually uh, a new spin on an old classic. And so Ticket to Ride, you know, it's one of the all-time greats. It's a modern classic in board gaming, but it's a little bit too big. It's a little bit too long. Uh, it's a fairly large board. Takes, you know, doesn't take long to teach it, but there's a lot going on. The game can take an hour, hour and a half, especially if people haven't played before. They're just trying to wrap their head around how the game plays. It's also a tough sell. Like, you see it at Target all the time or, you know, the big box stores, and it's a $50 game. So most people aren't going to pick that up just on a lark. So I was pretty excited when they released Ticket to Ride New York because it is a smaller version of the game. Exact same rules, except I think they added one tiny little thing about connecting, like, sightseeing spots. Um, but it's a much smaller map. It had The longest route is only four the game takes 15 minutes. You start with less. Um, you're using taxis instead of trains, but very, very quick, very, very easy. It's a small box. You can bring this to the office and just have it in the break room. People could knock it out real quick. And that's the kind of game that I want to have in these situations because you don't want the whole interaction to be 100% about the game. You want to have the social part of it as well. And I think this one works for that, uh, especially for us in the East Coast where a lot of people are from or visited New York. All right, so the first game that I brought to the table to make new friends is a game that I got to the table with my friend Glenn, John, and Madeline, and that is Dixit. Now, we know Dixit for its outstanding artwork, and I highly recommend Dixit Journey because the artwork is a lot more traditional, 
so that it doesn't bring in the kind of wacky abstracts that you see, you find in a lot of the Dixit games, but it allows people to kind of make up a little bit of a story element for their cards. Everyone gets to play a card of their own and place it down on the table, and hopefully you guess the right artwork there. So you get to know a little information about how people think, what kind of artwork they might like, and since it really isn't competitive so much because you don't know who you're kind of pushing out or kind of voting for, it allows for a great kind of friendly interaction. All right, so the next one on my list, uh, I was trying to think of something that would appeal to people kind of, I'm a, a copywriter originally, I do a lot of writing, I interact with a lot of people, and that's kind of the, the way that we, you know, talk about work is what have we been writing, who have we been dealing with, and, and all that. And Scrabble is like, it's the go-to word game that I always used in the past, but Scrabble is tough because if you're good at Scrabble, you destroy people who aren't good at Scrabble or who haven't played very often. And that's not fun for anybody. And so Paperback has become kind of the, the replacement go-to game for um, anytime you want a word game, or at least anytime I want a word game with my group. And so this particular game is great because it's quick to teach. Um, it's fairly forgiving. You don't have to have a huge vocabulary. There are two versions of it. And so you have Paperback with an expansion as well as Hardback if you want something with a score track um, and kind of a hard stopping point uh, when the game is going to end and it it's a great alternative in those kind of more you know academic conversations when you're like sitting down with people and you want to talk about books or writing or what you've been working on in that kind of situation but want a game that kind of reflects that um, I think paperback does a fantastic job of that well in the professional world I like to bring games to the table that's small somewhat traditional and engaging in a way that doesn't overwhelm somebody. So if I had to bring a game to a networking situation, I would bring the Duke. Now for a couple of reasons. First off, the Duke has a lot of elements very similar to chess. So when you bring that board out, it's like, oh, this is kind of a small chess version of a game. I can kind of work with that. And basically you're only starting with, I think three or four pieces to begin with. They're big, they're chunky. And I think what's especially important about the Duke is their move is right on the piece. So you don't have to go crazy kind of pulling out a rule book or a player guide. Just take a look at the pieces. Which piece would you like to move? You can see the movement right there. And since you're pulling pieces from a bag, there's no some overwhelming strategy for success. You're just deciding to either move a piece or pull a piece from a bag. And that's pretty much it. And since the game has really high quality components that are pretty streamlined and elegant, it's not overly cartoony and, you know, fantastic. So it's something that you can play with a number of different professionals, engage them with some interesting aspects of gameplay. All right. So the, the last one I wanted to talk about is not going to be a revelation to anybody because it just won the Spiel des Jahres, and that is Azul. This is a fantastic game for a lot of reasons. First, again, those the rules that I set out at the beginning, it's very quick and easy to teach. You do the same thing every turn, and then you place those tiles in the rows that you have, and you move them over to form a pattern. The reason that I love this one so much is because it, it definitely has a different feel and a different vibe, depending on the player count you have. So it is a relatively cutthroat game if you're playing one-on-one, -on -one, which I wouldn't necessarily do in a professional setting, but it's much less so and 
allows for a lot more interaction and discussion in a larger group where everybody can kind of talk about the different things that are there. And because you're on your turn, you're doing something so simple and yeah, you want to think about it a little bit, but it's not that deeply involved. You can have a conversation over this game without it being, you know, that social, that high level of social interaction that you get in some other games or dice games. It scratches the itch I want of something a little bit more strategic. It manages to engage everybody and involve everybody. It's accessible and it's pretty to look at. So it's easier to get people to sit down and play a game like this. Um, so Azul is definitely one I keep in my bag. And finally, for me, a game that I brought out to the table a number of different times with people that may be a little bit older, not into board games, but maybe have grown up in an era where card games like Bridge was something that were widely played is No Thanks. Because No Thanks is good because it's a small box. It's a deck of cards and a couple of different, you know, little token chits. So that's all recognizable to a number of different people, especially older people. It plays well as, you know, making new friends because you can throw it to the table. Or if you want to influence people in different professions, like, hey, let me show you this innovative, you know, mechanic here that's very simple and streamlined, which is basically you have a deck of cards. You want to get the fewest points possible. Very, very simple. But there are a number of cards that are not in the deck in play. So you have to kind of like figure out when do you really want to press your luck. And basically, one card flips up. Everyone decides if they're going to take that card or say no thanks and place a token down. And as they're making up their little tableau, they're kind of pressing their luck there. You're not really, you know, messing with the other player. But in some ways, taking cards are messing with somebody. So it's kind of incidental. But it's a lot of fun. Play it professionally. Play it friendly. It works in a number of different situations. That's no thanks. All right. So there are six games that will help you, hopefully, make new friends in a number of different situations and influence people in professional setting. Board gaming has a lot of great things that it could do for you, not just in the social situations, but in interacting with a whole bunch of new people. All right, so that's everything for this week, but not everything for BGA. If you'd like to get access to brand new episodes that you have not heard, check out our Patreon account at patreon.com backslash BGA for Patreon-backed episodes. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table.